Hi, I'm Edgar Papke. And I'm Ken Sagendorf. Welcome to the True Alignment Podcast. Where we talk about all things alignment. All things indeed, Edgar. We're live live today in the Innovation Incubator in the Anderson College of Business and Computing at Regis University in Denver, Colorado. Yes, and welcome. And as always, please share your questions with us, your, your thoughts, your comments. We'd love to hear from you. Jump right in. You know, Edgar, last week we, um, we put out a podcast uh, about me. Not about me, <laughs> but about, about all the me's. All of us is me. Right? That's right. It's all about me. And um, one of the things we said in that podcast was uh, we ha- you, you referenced a Mike Tyson quote. Uh, which one? Everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. Yeah. yeah. And given yesterday's current events. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're referring to the Oscars. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Wow. What a lovely conflict moment that was, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. What do you think was going on there? I, I, when you peel it away, uh, so somebody makes a, a joke, a comment. He's a, he's a comic, and so that's what comics do. And um, apparently there's some history in their relationship, maybe an ongoing conflict, and that gets brought to the forefront right in front of the world for the world to see. And if you peel away at that, what are your thoughts about it? You know, the first thing that came to my mind, Edgar, was when you get embarrassed in public, mm-hmm. it, it, it drives such a fight-or-flight version, and it's a no-win situation, right? You you act... You act uh, with, with some violence potentially, and you're going to be in the wrong. You don't act, you're going to be in the wrong. It's no win. Yeah. Uh, of course, the, uh, the uh, you know, when do you speak to honor? One honor is, you know, to, to be able to, um, right, to just turn the other way and ignore it. And, of course, there's also the element of honor, which is, I think, what um, Will Smith was coming back to after he slapped Chris Rock was, you know, this is about love, and there's honor and love, and look at what I'm doing. I'm protecting. Uh, the problem with that in the moment is, of course, that he laughed first. At first, he laughed at the the comment uh, that Chris Rock made, and then, apparently, and we don't know because the camera cut away until he stormed up on the stage, and, and he walked up and slapped him. I, one has to wonder what kind of interaction or what kind of thoughts he... he uh, what did he go through in that moment that caused him to want to get up and act in that way? And the choices that he had, right? I mean, that's a, that's a heck of a choice to make if you're conscious about what you're feeling and, and what your choices of behavior are in the moment. Yeah, that's what I come back to is that I don't know. I don't know that the choice is solely your own. I, you know, I know personally I have a quick calculation of what am I supposed to do in a given moment? And I, I would bet dimes to dollars that uh, he was in that situation. Yeah. And the clarity. And I think you just brought up brought up a really good question. What am I supposed to do? And what am I supposed to do? And what can I do? And what choices do I have in the moment, especially in moments of conflict? And I think you're right about that embarrassment, humiliation that goes with that, how he first responded. And then, of course, you know, the, the and then he had a curious uh, looking back at it. He had a curious smirk of content on it. He almost felt it looked like he had a smirk of like, okay, I, I did what I needed to do, or I'm feeling good about myself right now. Until maybe later on, and and that release, 
the re- so often, and we realize this ever since we're little kids, that so often embarrassment or humiliation, the release of that energy is is breaking down and crying. Yeah. And there's yeah. a rawness that comes with that. Well, Edgar, here's a question for you. You know, is there a world free of conflict? Absolutely not. I, I, we live with conflict day in and day out. It's a natural part of our lives. It's it's around us continuously. It's one of the natural forces. I mean, it, it occurs in, in nature and of itself as well as in the nature of human beings. You know, the wind blows and moves air. And the, uh, the wildfires in, in Boulder County over the, over the last three months, and you see, you know, conflict at work, and you see different energy and different forces creating change in our world constantly. And uh, sometimes that, that energy and and uh, it, it releases itself in positive ways. In other ways, it's, it's very destructive. And we see conflict is such a part of our natural order. And one of the great, great um, challenges that we have as human beings is learning how to manage the nature of conflict. Yeah. Uh, internally, externally, etc. Yeah. And it is everywhere. Uh, the definition that we use for conflict, and we use this in an organizational context as well as when we're doing our coaching, coaching work, is that conflict is the natural tension that exists between my current state and desired future state, or what I'm presently getting and what I want, what I presently am getting and what I need or believe that I desire and need. And anytime you have you have a tension, a gap between that current state, desired state, what I'm getting, what I want, that's the natural tension of conflict. And that, of course, then can show up in a lot of different ways based on how we choose to behave or based on, at times, an unconscious uh, behavior that we engage in. Uh, what am I supposed to do or you know, yeah. what choice do I have is very often a way of expressing I don't know that I have choice. You know, I have a... I have a work colleague, Edgar, and he and I are very different because I believe he doesn't, he tries as hard as possible to avoid all conflict. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think he would probably label me as running into it. Um, and so it's always an interesting thing because I think we have very different relationships with, with conflict and, and how we view it. Yeah. So you've seen this in your time that people have a different relationship personally to conflict. Yeah, I think every human being, every one of us has a unique relationship uh, to how we identify with and identify uh, who we are uh, in conflict and with conflict. And probably with is better than in because it's always with us. But yeah, each, each one of us, and there's two aspects of it. One is how we're naturally wired. And so we have tendencies that come from that natural wiring or personality typing, call it what you like, so there's that. And then there's also the nurtured side, which is, a, is our unique experience that we have with conflict. What did we learn growing up about what is acceptable or unacceptable behavior in relationship to conflict are some of the most important and uh, lessons that we then are embedded in our personality and that we carry with us for life. I mean, when you think back through Ever since we're young children, 
the effect that conflict and our responses after conflict and defining who we are is quite extraordinary. It's just incredibly powerful. Yeah. My wife and I were walking the dog this morning. So many, so many things are triggered. Two things we can typically count on is a walk the dog with your wife story and, of course, a movie reference of some well, kind. Let's see if I can get them both together. All right. Let's work on that one. All right. So, so you know, another Oscar moment last night I was sharing was the uh, 50th anniversary of The Godfather, uh-huh. which is so near and dear to my heart. Right. I, I grew up in this, you know, my mom's side of the family was this Italian family, and uh, there's some family lore of... Uh, you know, some mafia connections deep, deep, deep back in the roots. Um, and I don't know if there's any truth to any of that. But, but you know, there's, there's all kinds of stories in the family. My, my daughters love to hear me tell some of those stories. But my mom and my grandfather have passed away. And so there's no one to kind of keep those stories alive anymore. I don't even know if the rest of my family knows any of the stories, quite frankly. But well, you better get working then. Yeah, no doubt. Because it sounds like you're it. But so the, so the godfather. The Godfathers, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's certain things that you you don't act. Um, they put that montage together of of the film last night, and there's there's a bunch of fantastic one-liners, uh, right? right? You never. It's act. only business. Yeah, don't take it personal. <laughs> yeah, don't take it personal. <laughs> it's Where only is business. The big creeper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, you know, I think the other ones is you know never, never act against the family. Mm-hmm. Right? And what does that mean? The idea that. Uh, Grudges are meant to be held, so it's a holding on, in in the rem- in the reminding of all of the conflict. Yeah. And so, as my wife and I were walking this morning, this is the conversation we were having. Is I think that's one of the one of the things that I constantly work on is to try and identify when I'm holding a grudge so that I can let it go. Um. My wife taught me that early in our relationship, that it wasn't about somebody winning and somebody losing um, that, that brings about a solution to a conflict. Yeah, and yet we often believe that that is the path to the solution, is that somebody's got to win and somebody's got to lose, which overlooks the whole idea of how it is that we can uh, collaboratively work together to problem solve and what a, what a difference it makes to move from a place of just the, the mental modeling and the mindset of win and lose to go to a place of trying to find, you know, we talk about win-wins, but really what we talk about in that light is how it is that we create a solution to to a problem. And part of that conversation is let's identify the right problem. Let's create a, let's creatively come at finding a solution and one that creates a mutual benefit. One that really goes back to the idea of, mutual respect, mutual benefit, and not look at it through the lens of scarcity. Rather, let's look at, th- at through the lens of abundance or what's possible if we were able to, to understand what your interests are and what you're seeking, what your internal conflict is about, what it is that, I, that defines the gap between what you're getting and what you want. And if I'm able to do that and be able to have that conversation to identify what the real problem is, and then work towards a solution. Yeah. You know, I think a third thing that I often bring in is a sports analogy. So I'll bring one in here. Um, you know, I'm a Syracuse grad, and I'm a proud alum yeah. of Syracuse. Yeah. My condolences to... Well, 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's fellow Jesuit school Gonzaga. <laughs> yeah, you know the Jesuits. Uh, they ch- they had a struggle this weekend in the in the basketball tournament. But um, yeah. you know, Syracuse basketball is a it's a it's definitely a love relationship for me, but it's painful love because they tend to play to their competition level. Ah. You know, and I think uh, I bring that up because I mentioned that work colleague that I have tension with and some conflict with. I think we have uh, different uh, cultural expectations of mm-hmm. of the role of conflict. So, you know, I've been an academic for a long time. Yeah, a- academic is a traditionally a challenge, right? Got to have a good argument. In yeah. fact, a lot of sent- a lot of conversations, the second line after someone says something is, "Well, I would argue that." Yeah. Here we no. Go. Yeah. I mean, I think, and that is not out of, uh, it's not out of trying to say I'm right and you're wrong. It's an exploration. Mm-hmm. You know. So you know, culturally, for me, um, my role as a college professor and an academic has always been about about you know, bringing your imagination and your, your ability to state a case and bring in more facts and explore, it's been an exploration, um, to, to challenge, to challenge folks. And I, you know, I can tell stories of, of my young career being at conferences and watching, um, people in national international conferences, um, somebody from the audience who might've been the most well-known person in a discipline stand up and totally tear down somebody on the stage. Um, because they knew more. Um, just a different level of expectation in the cultures that I was brought up in. Uh, when have you seen kind of the cultural differences of the role of conflict? I, that's an excellent question. The, one of the underpinnings of, of culture, and we've talked about this, one of the underpinnings of culture that is probably the most important one to pay attention to is the idea of how conflict gets managed. So many of the rules of engagement of what's appropriate, inappropriate, or acceptable, unacceptable behavior is a, is a, is wrapped around how people experience conflict. You know, we, we, we talk a lot about get the right people on the bus, and you and I have talked about it on this podcast. It, how, how do you describe your bus? And so as much as you can remember when you were young getting on the school bus or getting into a situation with a new group of people, what you learn, what you learn so quickly about the culture comes through your experience of how conflict gets managed. And so one of the first lessons we learn around how a culture functions and power and influence, how decisions are made, how problems get solved, is that reflection on culture. And unfortunately, very often, it's not that we're observing other people in conflict and learning the lessons it can often occur when you step into the conflict yourself and start behaving in a certain way. And some cultures look at conflict as a group exercise. We're going to get involvement, we're going to get everybody together, and we're going to work through this conflict together. Uh, other cultures, like in, in the academic world, uh, you're looking at it being a way of challenging one another. And so conflict becomes a way of challenging one another and exploring and being curious. And we use curiosity as a means through which we engage in that conflict. And then there's also 
uh, cultures in which the conflict presents an opportunity for curiosity and exploration of an individual and individual intention and, and who we are and self-discovery, it, it provides us with that lens. And so I think it's really important for us to recognize the significance of conflict, not just learning about a culture and being in a, a context, a situation, in our organizations, in our workplaces. I think there's also the element of how it's used constructively and how it can also be used dysfunctionally. Yeah. Like embarrassing or humiliating, humiliating someone and tearing them down in front of others, which, by the way, I know you and I, we've seen that in conference rooms. We've seen that in, in strategic planning and alignment sessions with groups and teams, how easily that can happen and how power and influence gets yielded in different ways. Again, it's in it's in situations of conflict. And keep in mind, there's also that downside. I mean, there's all this wonderful, um, the wonderful outcomes that we get from conflict, innovation, diversity of thought gets brought to the forefront. Uh, we use it to solve problems and and to and to find new pathways to learning and developing and questioning ourselves. And you have that. And then, of course, there's also the negative elements, the dysfunctionality of how people um, use power and influence, how they use their roles of authority. Um, and, of course, there's avoidance. We do know that when it comes to leaders, and I think this is for the general population as well in, in, in our workplaces, is that the main reason that people avoid conflict is because they don't believe they have the skill set to manage it. In other words, it's a fear of incompetence. We know that from our data from a surveying leaders that that's the case, that the number one reason that leaders avoid conflict is a fear of being incompetent and knowing how to manage it because we're typically not taught that skill very well. Yeah, that fear of incompetence. I, you know, that's always been a little bit of a leadership intangible, right? The ability to motivate people and, and manage conflict in an organization. Edgar, you mentioned kind of, you mentioned power and influence a little bit earlier. <clears throat> put put a picture together, a mental picture for our listeners about the, the you know, conflict, power and influence, um, politics. Yeah. Not, yeah. not uh, you know, Democrat, Republican politics, uh, but um, the politics within, within a group, within an organization. Yeah. Um. Yeah, to paint a picture of that, what does that look like? Well, first of all, I think that you know, we use the term politics to describe culture. And politics really comes to the forefront when there's a conflict or you see coalition building take place. And I think one of the great ways to actually see that and experience it uh, when you have conflict is one of the first things we naturally do. Uh, the tendency is to build a coalition. I'm going to talk to other people about the conflict uh, yeah, I'd like to know that I'm right or wrong about it, but certainly it verifies that that I'm right very often. And so as we raise the bar into what's also referred to as high conflict is we build coalitions and people join coalitions very often just to identify with a side. Um, and so that can be something to really pay attention to. So we see the coalition building that takes place. And within that construct then... Um, that can lend itself quite well to, to actually elevating conflicts to a place where um, the, the, the solution is no longer the goal. You know, then we're back to winning and losing. Yeah. And 
that can permeate through organizations and teams pretty quickly if we're not if we're not attentive to it. Yeah, I just watched you. Um, it was a it was it was fantastic learning for me to watch you work with a CEO uh, who had asked for some feedback on how they had dealt with a situation, and and for you to say, did you notice that you talked to somebody? to build a little bit of a coalition rather than talking to the person directly. You had, you had called that out. So here's a, here's a curiosity question that I, that I kind of roll around in my head uh, a little bit. So how can somebody have both personal relationships with individuals and relationships to a group without coalition building? That's a nice one. <laughs> I, I, like I said, I'm just curious about it. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I it's it, it comes back to, and when you say a personal relationship, we're talking about one on one, and and then within the, within the group context, I do think that it comes back. You know, if the, let me let you in on a secret here. If there is a a, a a a magic bullet or silver bullet here. It's the one that's often overlooked, and that is, what is my intention? What is my intention for the relationship or set of relationships? And not only how do I behave in alignment to that intention, especially when there's conflict, when, when I really, the true self really has to show up, it is my ability to articulate that intention, to bring it into the spoken realm, and to be able to, I, I think it all really begins with that idea. If I want to have a really good relationship with you, I need to be able to be clear about what my intention is, what I want the relationship to look like. What do I want trust to look like in the relationship? And speak to that. What I find so powerful is that most of the time we don't engage in that part of the conversation until we're far down the road and we're looking for something to save the relationship with. And then we pause and we say, what do I really want here? What do we really want and expect from one another? And to bring that into the front end of that conversation and to also be conscious of that same level of intention in relationship to a group. And I think that's, so, that's really, really important for leaders that are role modeling and reinforcing the behaviors uh, that are expected in moments of conflict in the group and being able to speak to those. to, And they go beyond just the group agreements that we make, you know, about mutual respect. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, oh, we're, oh, we're going to be honest and candid with one another and authentic. <laughs> I think a conversation is what does it look like? What does it really look like when we're doing that? And what can we expect of one another? And bring that into the spoken realm. Yeah, I, I mentioned before this conversation that my family and I, we drove from Denver to Spokane last week for my youngest to tour college. So I, I like to drive. Which college? Gonzaga. <laughs> I know. <it's> <laughs> I, I, I like to drive, so I drove the entire way back and forth. Huh. And I, you know, I catch a lot of flack for that in my family, but you know, I was tr- thinking about why I like to do the driving. And, you know, part of it is if I'm driving, if I'm not driving, I'm going to be asleep. So driving uh, focuses my attention, uh-huh. but also... I think I'm doing it out of a uh, desire to take care of my family, frankly. Same same thing. I've, I've been trying to think about this, but I'm always trying to think about, you know, 
it's, it's all about me, just like we said last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always trying to think about why I am the way I am. Yeah, what, what's, what's causing you to yeah. make the choices and behave in the way that you are? And so, you know, one of the things about my role, especially in the work world, is I like to trawl my ideas. I like to say, here's what I'm thinking, and I want, I so desire, Edgar, somebody to come and say, hey, Ken, don't be an ass. You, <laughs> you missed this, this, and this. And I have to tell you that I have failed to set the intention with my colleagues to say that's what I want. Uh-huh. Right? I'm not throwing ideas out to say, look at me, I have a good idea. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> want, I want people to think with me. I want them to say, you know, have you thought about or this connects to this over here. I, I want people to build with. Yeah. But I, I guess I've never said it to anybody. I've never said that that's the intention of me throwing out an idea. Yeah, I'd like your feedback, right? Uh, yeah, and it goes beyond just saying I'd like your feedback because everybody's kind of looking at each other saying, really? Okay, especially in group environments, right? Yeah. And then, again, to be able to, you know, you're on the right track, intentionalize it. Say, this is what I'd like for the relationship. This is what I'd like it to look like. And this is what the definition or meaning of that is by way of what we typically would think of feedback is, I'd like your input. I'd like to hear what your thinking is to get that diversity of thought. It's really interesting because when we ask for feedback, what we're really doing is we're beginning to leverage our our capability to be curious, to be curious about what others are thinking, to be curious about what their perspectives are and their their mindsets. And that that becomes the beauty of understanding and seeing conflict as the great lever of innovation of problem solving, notice our greatest, the relationships in life that we see as being the most genuine, the ones that we really, really enjoy, had a path through conflict. At some level, what we learn to do in the relationship is manage our our conflicts well, with the intention being that it's going to help our relationship to do that. Uh, there's a Ira, David White, the, uh, the poet, uh, uh, he, um, this idea that the conversation is the relationship. And so we need to be able to lean into that. So bringing, the, bringing our intention for the relationship and being able to use conflict as a way to further that intention is, is something that I, I believe is one of the most powerful aspects of trusting and loving relationships. Um, and it's so it's so important to see that through that lens, and of course, then you think about um, the, the power of that in in our work, in our workplace relationships, or as leaders, our ability to utilize that idea and bring that into the into the context of all relationships becomes vital to us in our success as leaders, as as human beings. So, Edgar, I so agree. And I, you know, what makes me want to bring in the other kind of politics, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. right? Where they're not doing any of a this high conflict <laughs> with, with, with what, what can be seen oh, from the outside is any different intention other than just uh, winning or proving the other side wrong. But um, I digress a little bit here. The question I have for you is conflict in the personal realm and conflict in the professional realm. What leads somebody to deal with them differently in each of those realms? Because if it is part of your upbringing and part of your nurturing, the way you deal with conflict, is it is it fear? Yeah, 
It is. It, which also then is one of your most powerful tools in managing a conflict. And yes, it, it's fear. If, if fear of ostracization or ex- exclusion, a fear of being incompetent, uh, and a fear of, if I'm truthful with you, that you may not like me or love me, a fear of rejection. Those are the themes of the true alignment work that we do. And so it is in different contexts based on the rules of engagement, so the different expectations of our relationships, as well as the personas or roles that we, you know, the personas we wear and the roles that we play, um, the, the, the rules of engagement can be different. And so we adhere to those rules of engagement and most often conformity in a cultural in a cultural arena is learning how to conform to the rules of engagement and conflict. So I think that that's really important. And I think there's something else in this too, that one of the greatest assets we have is our ability to express a fear that we have. So it may just be with you and I, Ken, um, here's my intention for our relationship and this is what I'd like it to look like. And I have a concern that, this conversation may get in the way of that, and I don't want it to. I have, a, I have a fear how having this conversation with you could alter the course of our relationship in a negative way, and rather what I really wanted to do is improve the relationship. And it's difficult for me to have this conversation with you, yet you know, I, I need to have this. If we're going to grow our relationship, we need to, I need to talk to you about this. And so the expression of a fear and concern does two really great things. One is I let go of the fear. Once I articulate it, now I don't have it holding me back from having a real conversation with you. The other thing is I've, if, you're, if you are thinking a certain way or you do have a certain energy, um, what I'm doing is I'm reaching out and I'm inviting you to bring that with you. Not, to hold, not, not that it holds you back or that you're going to now let me have it because you're going to be angry with me. Rather, it, it reaches out and takes some of the wind out of your sails and says, you know, welcome, and, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to join me in this journey, in this conversation. And it's so, so powerful. So what I'm doing is I'm taking my internal conflict and I'm putting it out on the table. I'm bringing it into the conversation in a, in a very real way. And when you think about intimacy, you think about vulnerability and the power that that has in conflict. I don't think there's anything more powerful that I can say to you. I'd like to have a conversation with you. I want our relationship to look a certain way, and I don't want this to get in the way of it. Here's my fear. Here's my concern. Yeah, I love that idea of setting the intention and then declaring a fear or a concern. It's so hard, Edgar, for people to be vulnerable like that. I mean, a, it's hard to even identify mm-hmm. the both the intention and the fear often, um, yeah. and then and then so difficult to be, to be vulnerable. I don't, you know, I think that this is the, you know, as a dad, I, you know, this is funny funny work because I've done I've done this uh, diversity work for years and years and years, and and one of the things that I use is uh, I just love this book called Whistling Vivaldi by Claude Steele. Have uh-huh. I ever told you about this book? I think you have. So the title comes from Claude is an African-American, was at the University of Chicago back in the 50s uh, and 60s when there was heightened race, more heightened race relationships then. And he had a colleague that was studying uh, graduate work in, in classical music. 
And, you know, when they would leave the buildings, they would notice that uh, people would cross the street. Women would grab the arm of a man they were walking with. They'd move the purse to the other side of their body. But if they whistled classical mm. music, it would lessen those those things. And he does this, um, his work is around stereotype threat. And he does all these lab experiments to replicate what happens in the real world. And I'm really, I'm a fan of that work. But as I've done this work with groups over over the course of my career, you know, one of the things we talk about is which identities you have. And, you know, I'm realizing that as we're having this conversation today, I'm bringing up my identity as an academic. I'm bringing up, you know, I'm about to bring my identity as a dad, uh, as a husband. Um, and those, those move. They're not constant for me. It's not like I come to work and I'm like, I'm only this, right? My identities are all there. And so they're there and kind of ready to spring forward at any given moment. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, you know, all of your identities hidden, apparent, they're just, they're all there and ready to spring forward. So, you know, as a dad, I'm trying to model both strength and vulnerability to my children, which is a really interesting, you know, kind of, it feels like a balancing act sometimes. Yeah, it does. And that balancing piece of the, and this comes back to what we once already I know we've talked about you and I and perhaps on the podcast <coughs> is the um, is the idea of integration. And you realize very quickly that sometimes what we want to do is take the strength and the fear and the balancing act. And if we integrate them, we realize that very often it is in the intimacy that we can have with our own fear that our strength really emerges. And very often the personas we wear and the masks that we put on are to protect ourselves from that showing up in that integrated way when they're really one and the same. Our strength and fear come from the same place. Edgar, these are, these are things we need to practice, right? Just as we're having this conversation today and you talk about, you know, setting an intention and, and talking about your, you know, sharing your fears and concerns so you can be vulnerable. Um, you know, these are, and, and, and then your reminder to me of the balance is keeping two things separate versus integration of putting them together. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, that's a consistency of conversation where, you know, the change comes from the consistency of that conversation. It does from that experience because the changes, there's two aspects of that. One is my mindset. And I can only change my mindset from by changing my experience. And the other one is the power of choice. And we've and last last week when we talked about the me model and understanding my own behavior, is that when I understand my behavior, especially in conflict, that's where I need to be able to be conscious enough to say, I have a choice. I have a choice in how I use my strength and how I use my concern my fears and to recognize that the origin of all conflict is the natural natural fear that we're living with day in and day out, moment by moment. And then we'll be able to take that and integrate that as a strength into how I approach life and in, in all my relationships. That's a powerful, powerful um, tool uh, that I have to work with. And we all have it. It's a matter of practicing. Uh, we like to say that in our work that, uh, that uh, practice is the, is the pursuit of mastery of a discipline. And no more so can we master something in life 
and being able to master the discipline of how we manage conflict. Yeah. <sighs> Just the tip of the iceberg. Just the tip of the iceberg. I think a great conversation to follow this with and, and uh, we'll put on tap for next week is a conversation about intention and unpack and, and take a look at uh, how it is that we can clearly define and articulate intention in our lives, including uh, in our relationships, especially those of conflict. What is it that we're really seeking and how do we align and live in aligned ways to what our true intention is and how we want to show up in the world? Yeah, I look forward to that conversation very much. As will I, as always, with you. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Edgar. Uh, we always welcome your your questions, your comments. Mm -hmm. um, we have to pick a date, too, by the way. We should put this out there right now because it'll force us to do it. We need to pick a Monday night date, Jim, that uh, I talked to my colleague uh, here at the university, and he wants to host a kind of happy hour live podcast in the student center. Um, he's buying the food. We can actually drink beer during the podcast. Positive oh. thing. Yep. Um, but I think we'll we'll have a live a live audience, and maybe we can get some questions. So we'll have to pick a date and a topic um, to bring to the students of Regis University and, right. and staff and faculty and the community. Come on down. And, yeah, come on down and join us and be part of the conversation. Yeah. We might even wind up with two segments. Maybe. Usually. Maybe. <laughs> Usually do. <laughs> <laughs> well, Edgar, thank you. Uh, thank you. Thanks for listening to the True Alignment podcast. And, again, yeah, let us hear from you. Uh, we also thought that uh, at some point in your future, we'll just take all the questions that are coming in and, and just answer some questions as a, as a topic. Yeah. yeah. And they don't have to come in. They don't have to come in during the podcast. They can no. come in at any time. Yeah. Thanks for that. Jim, thanks for the production. Our good, our good friend and producer, Jim, just a big smile as always. All right. Thank you all out there. And uh, we'll see you next time around on true alignment. I'm Edgar Papke. I'm Ken Sagendorf. Thank you very much. Bye, everybody. Bye.